my privilege once again to welcome you to worship. My name is Troy. It's my pleasure to serve as one of the pastors here. And we are finishing up a three-week sermon series called Nothing to Lose. Because when we properly understand our relationship with God, we recognize his hand of goodness and provision in our life. And we realize that we don't have anything to lose. So uh, we're going to turn our attention in just a minute to Matthew chapter 25. And if you want to go ahead and pull up your Bibles or the app on your phone or, or whatever you do, that would be fine. But we'll, we'll be in Matthew chapter 25. Now many of you have been around here long enough. Others of you, you're newer and you need to know. You need to know something that's most important to us. What is most important to us as a church? What's most important to us as people, as individuals? is we really do believe that God can so thoroughly remake our lives that we become like Jesus. We really do believe in the most miraculous thing ever, that God, through his grace, through his love, through his forgiveness, and most importantly, through the power of his very spirit, God can so reside within us, can so live within us, that over time or in a moment, our hearts are changed and our lives are shaped and formed and we end up becoming more and more and more like Jesus. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We will die on this hill that you and I, through God's power, can be remade to be like Jesus. Now, we believe that. Not only because scripture tells us, not only because we sense God's spirit calling us and inviting us to it, but we believe that also because we've seen it. We've seen many of your lives that once were way over there through the grace and mercy of God have begun to be changed and to be transformed, to become more and more like Jesus. And the reality is, as we've learned, there is no stopping that process. We are growing every single day, and we're either growing to become more like Jesus, or we're growing to become less and less and less like him. Every day, we either grow to be like him, or we take a step away. If It's, a, it's an ongoing, never-ending sort of a process. And we also believe that becoming like Jesus and living like Jesus is the way to live our lives most fully alive. We are convinced and we are persuaded that the, that the person who lived on this earth, the life that lived on this earth that was the most fully alive, was the life of Jesus Christ, God's Son, God in the flesh. And when we look at what a human being should look like, when we dream about what kind of life a human should live, what we think of and what we dream of is not somebody in some skyscraper somewhere, or not somebody on a yacht, what we imagine is Jesus. That's the most compelling life that we are convinced and we are persuaded is the person of Jesus Christ. And so our desire is to become more and more and more like Jesus, and as we do that, we become more and more and more fully alive. Can I get an amen? Now, I've shared this quote with you several times throughout the sermon series, and this is the last time I'll share it until at least next year. 
And for some of you, you love this quote. And for others of you, you have told me, stop, stop it with the quote because um, it's uncomfortable. But this is a quote by Donald Miller that I think sums it up really, really, really well. If you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put a record on to to think about the story you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and want your money back. Nobody cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living those stories and expect our lives to be meaningful. The truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. So why is it that we continue to talk about becoming like Jesus and becoming a person who's fully alive? It's because we live in a culture that tugs and pulls and shapes our imagination in such incredibly contrary ways. Every advertisement for any Christmas present we will watch on our phone or on TV or whatever will tell you that if you get the Volvo, that's what's really going to make you happy. Or substitute whatever. If you think Volvos are ugly, substitute whatever it is in there the shoes, or the house, or the trip, or whatever. If you get that thing, then that's where you'll find fulfillment. And the message of Jesus comes alongside of that and forms a people who live life in such a radically different way. And we are convinced that is the way that we become fully alive, not the way of the world. So with all of that in mind, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 14. Beginning with verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who was leaving on a trip. And so he called his servants to him and he handed his possessions over to them. To one, he gave five valuable coins. To another... He gave two, and to another he gave one. And he gave to each servant according to each servant's ability, and then he left on his journey. And after the man left, the servant who had five valuable coins took them and went to work doing business with them, and he doubled it. He gained five more. In the same way, the servant who had two valuable coins gained two more. But the servant who had received the one valuable coin, dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled all the accounts with them. And the one who had received five valuable coins came forward with five additional coins. And he said, Master, you gave me five valuable coins. Look, I've gained five more. And his master replied, Excellent. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. The second servant also came forward 
and said, Master, you gave me two valuable coins. Look, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done. You are good and faithful. You've been faithful over a little. I'll give you, put you in charge of much. Come on, come celebrate with me now. The one who received one valuable coin came and said, Master, I know you are a hard man. You harvest grain where you haven't sown. You gather crops where you haven't spread seed. So I was scared. And I hid my valuable coin in the ground. Here, you have what's yours. And the master replied, You evil and lazy servant, You know that I harvest grain where I haven't sown and that I gathered crops where I haven't spread seed. In that case, you should have turned my money over to the bankers so that when I returned, you could give me what belonged to me plus the interest. Therefore, take from him the valuable coin, give it to the one who has ten coins. And those who have much will receive more. They'll have more than they need. But as for those who don't have much, even the little bit that they have will be taken away from them. Now take this worthless servant and throw him outside into the darkness. People there will be weeping and grinding their teeth. This is God's word for us. You can be seated. All right, now what we just read is what's called a parable of Jesus. And the difficulty for us is we don't really understand how parables work. Parables hinge, like any good joke, on the punchline. And everything in a parable is there to support that one point, that punchline. It's kind of like if you don't understand the punchline of a good joke, you'll never understand that joke. Now, I'm not a person who keeps like a mental log of jokes. In fact, I often can't remember a single joke. And sometimes people will come up to me and they'll say, do you have any good jokes lately? And there's often times that I'm in the presence of someone where I wish I could lighten the mood and I wish I had a joke that I could share. The only joke that has ever stuck with me, the only joke that has ever lodged itself into my mind is the joke that showed up in my daughter's, what was that, first grade? first grade joke book at Wyandotte Elementary. So let me share that joke with you this morning. What is a horse's favorite store? Old Navy. Now, the punchline of that joke is the Navy, right? But, like, if you, if you didn't get the joke, like, if you wanted to to argue about like, uh, you know, I don't know, you know, that's not really how horses sound. They don't sound like that. So that shouldn't be the joke. Then you've missed the entire point of the whole joke. The joke is based on the name of a store and the sound of a horse. That's it. Everything else in the joke supports that punchline. And that's how parables work, too, except Jesus' parables are way better than my jokes. In fact, for those of you who tweet or Facebook or want to quote me today, that's a great thing to quote. Jesus' parables are way better than our pastor's jokes. So everything that's in a parable exists to support the punchline. 
And it was a common thing in that time period. It was a very well-known thing that there are landowners, and those landowners have servants. And landowners leave their servants with some money, and the servants are expected to make money off of the landowner's money. And it was a common thing. It was a very well-known thing to know that if they didn't make money off of the money that was entrusted to them from the landowner, that when the landowner returned, that the landowner would treat them pretty nasty. That's the prop, not the punchline. The punchline in this story is where the landowner confronts the faithful servant and he says, well done, faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. That's the entire point of the parable. That's the punchline. But then there's a flip side. And the flip side is where he confronts the play it safe servant and he says, whoever has been given more, they will be given in abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they do have will be taken from them. That's the punchline of the flip side. Now listen, this is not a parable about what God is like. It's a parable about us. It's about how we are to live. And what Jesus is saying through this parable is really simple. Joy is the result of giving. And misery is what is produced by playing it safe and burying things. Misery is the result of hoarding what we've been given. And so in this story, we have three servants. And each one of the three servants receive. They've been given. One receives five, one was gave five. One receives two, he was given two, and one received one. And then the master left town, and while he was gone, the person who was given five bags of money used that money. He invested the money, and if you have a bag of money and you want to invest that bag of money, how does that work? You have to give some of what has been given to you. You have to give some of that away. I mean, that's how that whole process, that whole transaction works. And that's what this person does. He receives five and he gives some of what he's received away. And as a result, the initial gift that he received, what happens to it? It multiplies. It grows. And after a long time away, the master returns and he takes account of all of the accounts And the servant who received five reports back and says, hey, you gave me five. I gave some of what you gave me away. And as a result, it grew. And the master was delighted. Same thing with the person who received two. Received two. Some of what he received, he gave. That grew. The master's delighted. Now, before we move on to the final character in the story, I'd like to pause to talk about what those first two characters help us to learn, which is actually a very biblical, kingdom-oriented principle. God, as the landowner, gives to his servants. And God's expectation 
when he gives these good gifts is that his servants would do the same thing that he did, would mimic his action, that they too would give. Landowner gives to the servant, servant gives. As a result, the gift grows. The kingdom principle is this. When God gives good gifts to his people, his expectation is that his people will mimic his actions and give the good gifts that God gives his people to other people, and as a result, the gift itself grows. All right. The person who received one, though, it's a totally different story. He took what was given to him, and he dug a hole, and he buried it in the ground. Now, the question is, why on earth did that servant do that? Why did he do that? One answer could be maybe he thought that all that he had was all he was going to get. Maybe he thought what he had was all he would ever get. And so he thought in his mind, this is it. I have this one gift, this one coin. And if I give it away, well, then that's it. And I'll, I'll never get any more, and it will never be replenished. So instead of the so based motivated by the fear of losing it, the best option he can think of is just to bury it into the ground, cling to it, hold on to it, bury it. And it may be true that in some parts of the world that if we hang on to it, we keep it. But here's the spiritual principle that we need to know. Whenever God gives us something, if we hang on to it too tightly, we end up losing it in the end. Because everything that God gives to us is not just for us. It's not just for us. Most of the blessings that God gives to us in this life, he intends for us to use them to bless other people as well. And so when we try to hold on to things, everything else begins to leave. And not only do we begin to lose the things around us, but we begin to lose things that weren't even connected. Like our joy. Like we find our joy in Jesus Christ. And if we find our joy in Jesus, if we notice it's beginning to slip away, we, we begin to think to ourselves, why is that? Why, why is it gone? And it could be, it could be, that we've patterned ourselves to live a lie based on the world that we live in and the world says to us, we got to hold on to it because whatever we have right now, that might be all that we ever get. And if we give it away, if we mimic the action of God who blesses us and intends for us to use the blessings that he's blessed us with to bless other people, but we're so scared that if we do that, We'll, we won't have anything to hold on to. And as we find ourselves patterning ourselves after the way of the world, we realize we've lost our joy and we might wonder why that is. And the truth is, is it's because we're not living as God has intended for us to live. Because remember, joy is a byproduct of giving. Misery, according to this story, is what happens to us. It's a byproduct. It's what's produced by living our life in a way contrary to God. All right, the second reason that the servant might have done what he did 
The second reason is he didn't understand who God was. He didn't understand who his master was. He didn't know what his master was all about. He said to his master, he said, you know what? You're, you're stingy. You're hard. You're greedy. You're cruel. He, he thought his master was like this hard-driving person who was only concerned with the bottom line. But that wasn't the story at all. That wasn't the case at all. The story is really clear. His master wasn't hard. His master wasn't cruel. His master was not greedy. His master was incredibly generous, was incredibly giving. And so the, the master in this story wasn't in the business of holding on to everything that he had and, and squeezing tightly all of that, because if that was the case, he never would have given anything to his servants in the first place. His master was in the business of giving and giving it away. He was in the business of extravagance. And it appears as if the master in this story, our Lord, is looking for some other equally extravagant, generous servants to take some risks with the gifts that he's already given to them. And it also appears, though, that he's frustrated with his servants who take what they've been given and cling to it because they're scared to lose it. And if we view, if you and I, if we view God as greedy, as tough, as cruel, do you know then what we will do with the things we've been given? Man, we hoard them. We hold on tight to them. We protect them. We're going to take every spiritual penny that we can gather and keep it for ourselves because we don't want that person coming and taking. But if that's our understanding of our Heavenly Father, then we have completely misunderstood the God, our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, made known to us through the power of His Spirit. Church, your God is not a taskmaster. He's not a taskmaster. We serve a God who's generous. We serve a God who willingly gives himself away again and again and again. We serve a God who hung on a cross in a total gift of self-sacrificial love. We serve a God who says, I want my children to become just like me. I want them to have the same character that I have, where I willingly give and give and they do too. It is crucial. It is crucial that you and I understand that every gift that we have in this life is a gift straight from God. Let's think for a moment. Let's take account. It's the end of November. It's always good at the end of November as we move into the madness that is December. It's always good to take an account of all of the good gifts that God has given to us. Think of some things that you have, even in this very moment. Not everybody has those things. If you have eyes that work, that's a gift. If you can hear me right now, you have ears that work. If you have some food, 
in a, in, a, in a pantry or in one of your cabinets at home, if you have a roof over your head, if you have some clothes that you can wear, some breath you can breathe, it's all a gift. And if you have those things, ask the question, why? Why? Why have you been given those things when others haven't received them? I mean, what could explain that? I mean, did you, you know, enter a contest in some previous life and you won that contest and it merited you to receive these kinds of gifts when others, that's not what happened. We didn't, we didn't win anything. Did you work really hard to earn that stuff and other people didn't work so hard? That's not the case. That's not the case. We didn't earn it. We just received it. It's all an unmerited gift. I mean, maybe we could just kind of say we were lucky. You know, we were born here as opposed to being born in like Haiti or Calcutta or something. I mean, there's some truth to that. The Bible goes beyond that, though. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is in John chapter 3, verse 2, where it says, No one can have anything unless God gives it. None of us have anything unless we've received it from God, which means that anything and everything is a gift from God. And our God is good, and our God gives generously, always giving good gifts. So everything we have, we should always be giving thanks for because it's not like a reward that for our effort, it was it was given. And then the parable takes it one step more radical. I love how the scripture, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't just stop with the Hallmark movie sort of answer. It always takes it one step further. I know I hate to step on the toes of all y'all Hallmark movie fans here in the house today, but let's just get one thing clear. Hallmark is nice cozy, warm, fuzzy entertainment, but it is not the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the ladies in the house say amen. No, you don't want to, do you? The parable takes it one step further. It takes it one step further. <laughs> Candace Cameron, Jesus incarnate. The t- the one step further. The gifts are not just given to us. Scripture says this. Scripture says they are entrusted to us. And so to entrust is to give us some responsibility for something. It's like God is saying, I am giving this to you, but I'm entrusting it to you, which means I'm making you responsible for the use of it. So every gift that God gives to us isn't just for us to make us happier, to make us Like for us to enjoy it, every gift that's given to us is God entrusting something to us. And God gives us responsibility for the use of it. And the purpose of the gift is to be given again. Let me say it one more time. The purpose of the gifts of God that we receive, he entrusts it to us so that we will give those gifts again. There is purpose in the gift. And the purpose is not just for it to make you and I happy, although that's, that happens. But the real joy, the real fully alive life of Jesus, 
is found as you and I receive the good things that God gives to us. And we give them away for the sake of the world in the same way, with the same spirit, and with the same love that the gift was given to us in the first place. And that's radical, especially for us, especially in our culture. This runs up against all of the stuff. It runs up against all of the things that we hear and all of the stuff that we see. It runs up against the fundamental assumption that shapes the waters that you and I swim in. And it's this. We have been taught from the very first breath that we take in this life all the way through Until here we are today, there is one consistent message that we have heard. And it's, you're the boss of your own life. You're the boss of your own life. And you can do with it what you want. You can live it how you want to live it. You are the primary decision maker. And the purpose of your life is to accumulate all of the benefits you can find so that when you turn 65 or 70 years old, you can finally relax enough to enjoy them. You can finally find some time to actually enjoy all the stuff that you've spent your whole life working for. Because, after all, you and I have a right that cannot be taken away from us, and that right is to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And all of that is true legally. But biblically, it's not true at all. It's false. It's contrary to the way of Jesus in this world. And the truth is that our life is not our own. It's God's. And he gave it to us. He entrusted us with it. And so in this story that we just read, the master entrusted some of his wealth to his servants but it was still his. He gave it to them. He entrusted it to them, but it was still his. And he gave it to them so that they could give it to others. And in the same way, in the same way, our life is not our own. Our time is not our own. Our talents are not our own. Our skills are not our own. Our treasure is not our own. Yeah, we can enjoy all of those things, but they're gifts from God. And he entrusted them to us with a purpose. Give them away for the sake of the world. And here's what happens. When we do, Jesus comes to us and he says, well done. Well done. You are faithful. Well done. And the words that all of us are dying to hear. Is the very tangible voice of Jesus saying to us, well done, you modeled my life so well to others. You were faithful. Well done, you looked like me living that life. You were so faithful. Well done. And he says it to two of the servants in this story. He says it to the two servants who understand the purpose of the gift. That the purpose of the gift is not just for them to keep. The purpose of the gift is not for them to be scared that it will be taken away. The purpose of the gift is to be given. And he says to them, well done. Well done. You look just like me. Well done. You were so, so faithful. 
So maybe today what we need to ask ourselves is where do we find ourselves in this continuum? Where do we find ourselves in our understanding of who God is? Have we become convinced that God is tough and difficult and a taskmaster and he's going he's gonna to be take it all? Or do we understand the beauty of our Lord and Savior made known to us in Jesus Christ? Is that he's good and he's generous and he gives and he entrusts to us. And we, you and I, have the opportunity to receive what he has given and to use it with the same kind of purpose as the gift has always been intended for, to give it away for the life of the world. You know, there's nothing I want more personally for myself. There's nothing I want more for all of you here in this room this morning. And that's for you to grow, to become fully formed in the image of God so that your life models and resembles and and represents to the world really well the life of Jesus. And I think as we do that together, we're living a life that's fully alive. There's no one who lived a life more remarkable than Jesus. No one who lived a life more significant than Jesus. And what we see in the life of Jesus is someone who exemplified and reflected and gave us the best view of God's character that could ever be given. Everything he had, he gave it away. He gave it away including his own life.